An article in uh, an Italian paper a while back reported about a convent um, in Italy that was forced to close after a vicious fight broke out between some of the nuns, leaving the mother superior in need of medical care. Uh, the article didn't say much. There was some acknowledgement that there had been uh, relational strain that had been developing. Uh, what was reported is that, quote, following a particularly acrimonious mass, Sister Anna Marie and John Battista attacked 82-year-old Sister Liliana, the mother superior, throwing her to the floor and scratching her face so badly that she needed to go to the hospital. The sisters were reportedly fed up with Sister Liliana's authoritarian rule. The local archbishop attempted to reconcile the sisters, but apparently they were having none of it. Uh, so, none of it. I'm sorry. The, the, the nun puns are very hard to avoid. Uh, it was a bleak article, but it was instructive at the same time. Among other things, it revealed the limitations of religious environments. The Sisters of the Santa Clara Convent had spent decades living in a religious community, pursuing a religious vocation. Most of them uh, had disassociated with the world to reside in this community. One of the women had been living there since 1963. And yet, that had not been enough for her to uh, rid herself of uh, the anger and the hatred and the propensity to violence. Their circumstances may have been holy, but clearly their heart was not. Many believe that uh, inner change requires an external change, that our environment has to be different. This was certainly the assumption that was held by the Corinthians. If you read uh, the first letter that Paul writes, to them, you see that they had a lot of questions. And their questions were, what are the kinds of things that we can do in order to be better? <laughs> right? Like, so should we be single or married? Should the men be circumcised or uncircumcised? What kind of foods do we eat? Is it, is it uh, possible to be holy if you're a slave or do you have to be a free person? So they're asking questions, not our questions. They're asking a set of questions that seem odd to us, but underlying the questions would be, what are the kinds of things that I can do? What are the ways I can change my external world so that my heart gets better? When I was a college pastor, uh, I fielded lots of questions from college students. They were different questions, but they were also, they were asking like, what's the best Bible for me to read? the best you know, version, or what's the best church around here to go to, or uh, what should I major in, or uh, you know, all kinds of questions about relationships. And, and they, look, they're important questions. They're questions that college students are, were asking, and there's a version of the, those same questions that get asked today. Like what vocation is going to be best in God's eyes? But, but underlying this is the idea that uh, the way for our heart to change is for us to change our circumstances. And um, there's nothing wrong with the question, but um, we need to understand that that's not actually the way things happen. Um, too many people think, I would be spiritual 
if only uh, I could work at this nonprofit organization, or if I was on staff at a church, or if, I, uh, if my family situation was different, if I was married finally, or if I, if I could finally get away from uh, the person that I did marry, then my relationship with God would be positively transformed. So um, we think God will bless us if we, I don't know, um, have Jesus trinkets in our office or if we have a, a, bumper st- a Christian bumper sticker on our car or something like that. Um, let's be clear. That is not how circumstances, excuse me, that is not how our heart changes. Paul makes that clear and uh, Jesus makes that clear as well. As do, by the way, uh, the sisters in this convent. <laughs> their circumstances make it clear that just because they changed their circumstances did not mean that they had changed their heart. Uh, as the nuns remind us, transforming our heart requires more than changing external events. So, we've been looking at this and unpacking this and asking how it is that we do get better. How can we be renewed? That's the big theme that has been driving this series. And uh, so far we have been picking up on uh, the, the conversation that Jesus had with the religious leader who asked him, this is Mark chapter 12, asked him, uh, you know, can you give me uh, some prioritization here, the 600 laws in the Old Testament? I mean, is there some uh, area that I should be focused on? What is it that I can do to actually become uh, closer to God? And what Jesus says is, um, you know, he answers, he starts with the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So over the last few weeks, we have been uh, taking these one at a time. We've acknowledged, we say, that uh, there's a sense in which the, the way Jesus answers this question, the first part of it is it's just, you know, like, go all in with God. Uh, don't hold back. Uh, you know, pursue him with everything that you have. He should be your first love. There, there's a, that's part of it. Uh, and we've, we've got to be aware that in Hebrew poetry, uh, they, don't, they don't rhyme words, they rhyme ideas. And so there are some that, that argue that we can't really uh, tease all these different words apart and suggest that, they, that there's sharp lines between them. So we want to acknowledge that. At the same time, I do think uh, that there is some value to teasing these words apart. And so we have. And so uh, started this part of this series off by looking at, at the heart, command central, talked about the elephant, and then Anson talked about our soul, the quiet aspect of us. We've got to really still things down to be able to hear that. So we talked about rules of life and other things. Last week, talked about what it looks like to engage our mind and to love God uh, with our mind. So now uh, we come to the last uh, of the list, and that is to love the Lord our God with all of our strength. And uh, I have a confession. The plan for today was for me to talk about resilience and grit and resolve and uh, sort of uh, emotional commitment about stamina, about you know, power. Uh, I, I intended to talk not about the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Uh, I, I intended to go 
in that direction. The Greek word that is, that is used here uh, for strength is the word iskas. And uh, if you do word studies on this word, translated strength, translated might, uh, you find words like uh, power and force and ability. So um, I, was, I was planning on, on doing that. So now let me just, let me just pause here and say, um, this passage is understood in different ways by uh, different people. The word iskus gets translated a little bit differently or the, the thrust of this is understood a little bit differently. So some, some look at this and say that the call here is to love the Lord our God with all of our, our physical strength. And, um, and I, I appreciate some uh, push in that direction because, you know, there's, there's, there's the ongoing challenge. It was present in the first century with the Gnostics. Uh, those were the people that, that John will write about in, in, the, in his letter, 1 John 1. He'll start, he'll come out swinging at the Gnostics. They believed that we're not saved uh, by the work of Christ and Christ alone, but that we're saved uh, we're saved by some secret knowledge, and it was a very sort of mystical, spiritual focus. It had a lot of Greek influence, and so they were really down on the body, uh, and, and they were up on the spirit. And that kind of thinking, uh, we still see it today. There's this, there's this sacred, secular divide that people have. There's a sense that our bodies are not as spiritual as our spirits are, and uh, and. So the Bible does not go there. Uh, in the beginning, God created a physical world, and he declared that that physical world was good. And that physical world has been damaged by sin. Paul writes about that in Romans. says, you know, all of creation you know, s- struggles, it stutters, it groans, it's, it's broken, it's held back somehow by sin. Uh, it's, it's really sort of fascinating to think and read about those who... That, try to imagine what our world looks like if there is no sin. So yes, the world's not perfect, but the world is good, and, and we should not be Gnostics, and we should not think that God, um, you know, we're trying to be sprung from these physical bodies. That's not it at all. So I, I appreciate this idea that um, we need to recognize that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we need to recognize that our bodies are good, we need to care for our bodies, uh, there's a lot that's written now about, you know, from a Christian vantage point about diet and sleep and all these things. So yes, I, I appreciate that. I don't think that that's the thrust of this, uh, this passage here. So there's another, there's another way that this passage gets interpreted by some, and they say that, uh, that the word strength actually is to be understood more in terms of our giftedness or our assets, and so uh, this, this differs from different people. For some people, uh, what would it look like to love the Lord my God with all my strength? Well, my strengths are musical, or my strengths are uh, my gifts of hospitality, or my strengths are uh, my financial resources, or it's my network, or it's something like that. Okay. Uh, I think all those things are, are appropriate. Like, I, I think, I think if, if you've got gifts of hospitality or got gifts of, you know, leadership, or you got gifts of, we should be using our gifts. And if you have resources, financial or some other kind of resource, absolutely we're supposed to use that. I mean, we are, to go to the parable of the talents, we are 
temporarily entrusted with God's stuff. Uh, and so we want to be good stewards of his stuff. And we want to use his stuff in ways that reflect his heart and his values and, and, and uh, that, that glorify and honor him. So I, I absolutely agree with the gist of that. I just don't think that that's what's being said here either. Uh, so um, I find myself with those who think that loving God with all our strength does imply some sense of, of willpower. It does apply imply some sense of discipline, um, some sense of keep on keeping on even when it's difficult. And so I do find myself, no surprise here, I mean, I sign a lot of letters, I sign off from a lot of letters saying press on, I mean, this is Paul, Philippians 3, press on towards the goal for the prize of the higher calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I, I am, I, am um, I, I sort of think uh, whether I'm right or wrong, I sort of think that that is what this is calling us to. And I intended today to talk to you about your need for uh, grit and resolve and stamina and discipline and uh, the need for you to keep doing the right thing. Unfortunately, I find that as opposed to talking to you, I am also talking to myself. So uh, by God's grace, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm sort of wired to be persistent. Um, I'm wired to be a little bit optimistic, to be, you know, somewhat resilient. Those are all good terms, so I want to be very clear. I, I, I'm not taking credit for that. Uh, I just think, you know, we're all obviously parents shape us, our parents and our early circumstances shape us, this whole nature-nurture debate. Uh, yes, I think nurture is incredibly important and cannot be dismissed. But I think that, uh, I, I think that, that uh, anyone that's been parents understands that uh, you know, children are sort of born with a personality. And uh, I mean, it's there from like go. And uh, our first son, a certain set of uh, skills and aptitudes and inclinations and certain outlook. Second son, sort of opposite. And we're like, wow, it's amazing. We got two opposites here. Like the third one will have to be somewhere in the middle. Oh no, third one is, is up here. And we're like, <laughs> oh my goodness, They're, they are very unique. So yes. Uh, the, we're unique. There is a, a nurture component to that, but there's a nature component to that. And I, for whatever way, however it sort of got inculcated in me, uh, I find myself as being someone who um, sort of resonates with all the, you know, never give up kind of language. I love the, the Churchill uh, speech that supposedly he gave, and I say supposedly because I, I went to look it up and read on it this week, and I was initially traumatized by seeing that, uh, you know, it looked like it was being de debunked on the web. This, this speech that he gave at the school that he went to, and supposedly he gave it towards the end of his life, and he goes back to the school. He almost flunked out of the school, and now he's Sir Winston Churchill, and <clears throat> he's given the commencement address, and all he does is get up there and, and say, um, uh, young men, never give up. Never give up. 
never, 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 never give up. And that that was the entirety of his commencement address. So I'm reading this thing that says that that's not true. He did not give it at the end of his life when he was Sir Winston Churchill. He gave it uh, at the just early in World War II. And so he was, uh, he was just Winston Churchill. And he didn't say never give up. He said never give in. <laughs> so, okay. So there's some corrections to that. But, but uh, I think it basically, <laughs> what, what you might have thought if you had heard it before is still there. I, I resonate with that kind of stuff, right? I mean, play the... Play the theme song from Rocky, and I want to go for a run. I want to run up. I want to run up the steps of the of the uh, Philadelphia Art Museum. I mean, I, I I can be motivated by all that stuff. So, um, look, I, I don't I don't lean in this direction quite as much as some. Uh, I mean, there's some people that are just completely gun ho and completely, you know, you can't knock me down any of that. I mean, David. King David uh, shows up as a young man and, and everybody else looks at Goliath and, and says he's too big to fight and, and David sees, you know, he's, oh, he's not too big to fight, he's too big to miss, right? And so David, David wants to go in. Yeah, I'd be with everybody else going, <laughs> I'm not going out there to fight that guy. He's huge. Uh, and, and there's other scenarios like that. And in in thinking about the, the letter that Paul writes from the Philippian jail and he describes himself as an ambassador in chains, um, not as a prisoner. And I'm pretty sure if I was writing, I would have written about being a prisoner. So I am not as gun-ho, uh, I'm not as gun-ho as some people might be. And by the way, I'm, when I talk about this, I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, not just talking about a positive attitude. I'm not talking about optimism. Right? I mean, so we've got to understand optimism is when the situation looks favorable. And so you think, looking at the data, you have reasons to believe things are going to turn around. But, but hope, biblical hope is not optimism. Biblical hope is saying, yeah, I'm not looking at the circumstances. I'm looking at God, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm inclined to have faith and trust in God. And so... Uh, uh, generally speaking, I sort of find myself in the camp that is a little bit optimistic, but is, but is, I, I, I'm hopeful. And so I sort of like situations that, uh, where you got to go out and you got to gut it out and you got to be, you know, resilient and you got to keep going. And, um, I, I know some of this, some of this can feel to some other people like, um, it's trite, you know, really the Rocky song makes you want to run, um. Well, yeah, it does. And uh, so I'm sort of wired to, you know, I, I think, I'm sort of wired to love God with my strength. However, uh, perhaps because of pride in that area, about a week and a half ago, uh, I found myself uh, getting knocked down. And uh, there's a sense in which I, I felt like, and it felt like as I was going through the day, I'm losing ground. I'm losing my way. I'm losing hope. Um, nothing big happened, to be honest. I, I, I honestly can't remember any of the things that went wrong that day. 
what I, what I was aware of, I do remember one, but uh, what I was aware of was uh, as I'm moving into the middle of the afternoon, I'm like, wow, I'm sort of 0 for 4 today. Like everything that could go right has been going wrong. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little bit like, uh, you know, a boxer who's getting pummeled in the, in the ropes. And uh, the more the other guy keeps hitting me in the stomach, the more I'm dropping my hands. And I'm, setting, I'm getting set up to have my clock cleaned. I'm getting set up for a big punch to the face, and I'm going to go down. And it was a little, it was a little bit, um, yeah, it was a little bit scary. I mean, I, you know, they, they talk about at uh, the Navy SEAL uh, training out in, uh, out in California that uh, you ring the bell. If you decide as you're going through the training, and I think like 70% of the people who've already gone through one testing to make it into the training, that 70% of the people going through the training will ring the bell. And you ring the bell when you say, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I, I can't do it. Uh, if you're a cage fighter, you know, the MMA fighters, you know, if you're getting choked out and you're ready to, to, get, to give up, then, you, you know, you tap the other guy, you tap out. So uh, I would have been ready uh, at some point during that day, I think, uh, to, you know, to, to ring the bell or to tap out. And uh, the image that I have was uh, that I was, I was taking some, uh, some heavy punches to the midsection and I was dropping my hands and I was setting myself up uh, to get knocked down. So it was a little surprising uh, and it led me to reflect on this idea of loving God with our strength. So let me just say, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine and I don't, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't want to go down that path. I don't want you to think otherwise. What I needed uh, was a good run and uh, a good night's sleep, and I was ready to, to go again in the morning. Um, and by the way, let me, let me head off all the emails. Um, uh, I am not thinking about retiring, whether that strikes you as good news or bad news. And I'm now 60, and, and my, uh, well, I've got a lot of, friends that are starting to move towards retirement and all four of my siblings who are younger than I am all they want to talk about is you know how many more days until they're going to retire and, and not me not me for better or worse whether you're encouraged or uh, frustrated when I say that I think I've got you know another 10 years in me uh, that's the plan so uh, my point is simply to say I think loving God with all our strength implies resolve and this was something that, that I surprised myself by saying, yeah, you know, Woodruff, okay, you, you, need, you need to be a little bit more gritty and resilient, and you need to do the right thing even when it's hard. So let me, uh, let me make sort of four points as I head towards um, the close here. The first thing I want you to understand is uh, we don't really have other options than to get back up and to go at it again. Whatever it is that's knocked you down, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's some circumstance, maybe it's your own failure. Okay, we sort of don't have any option but to get back up and to say, okay, I'm gonna keep doing the right thing. I, the most profound moment of this in my own life came 
Seven years ago when I was recovering from the stroke, it was about a month in, I was at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, now the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, but I was, I was there, I was in a wheelchair, I was just starting to fully appreciate what a long recovery this was gonna be, and uh, I got wheeled into a, a physical therapy uh, exercise. There were four of us. Uh, all of us were in wheelchairs, and it was immediately obvious to me that the other three would never not be in a wheelchair. And, uh, and two of them, and, uh, so we'd all had strokes, two of them uh, had some rather significant uh, emotional challenges as well. And uh, I, I am looking around this group and thinking, oh my goodness. So these are now my peers. This is where I'm at. This is who I work out with. And the, the physical therapist, I, I don't remember her name. They, there was a bunch of them. They were all, you know, perky 25-year-old uh, young women. And they were all, you know, yes, very optimistic. And they said, okay, t today we're going we're gonna, to, you know, we're going to start by doing hand raises. And so they go, lift your hand over your head. Okay, let's see if we can do 10. And, you know, the others are doing it, and I, I'm just looking at her, and she said, uh, Mr. Woodruff, are, are you going to join us today? And I said, uh, well, uh, usually if I do that, I have weights. <laughs> and she goes, oh, okay, well, we have weights. We have one-pound weights, and we have three-pound weights. Which would you like? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? One-pound weights and three-pound weights. I mean, just so you know, three-pound weights are pink and soft. And uh, so I have now three. I said, well, I'll, I'll take the three-pound weights. But here's the thing. I did about six three-pound weight <laughs> presses, and I realized if I try to do number seven, I'm going to drop this weight on my head. And I was like, I, 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 oh my goodness. Like, how did I get here? And I said, you know what? I, I said to the, the young woman, I said, I, I'm not actually going to be with you today. And I, I backed my wheelchair up and I wheeled myself down the hall and, and uh, uh, I, I got myself illegally. I wasn't supposed to do this on my own, but I got myself in bed and I pulled the covers up over my head and I cried. And I'm not much of a crier, but I was just like, how did I get here? And, and I thought, I'm, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, this isn't fair, right? all, all those things. And um, so I cried for, I don't know, four or five minutes. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I was reminded of that line in, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy says the thing about a cry is that uh, pretty much it's going to end and then you have to decide what you're going to do. And I remember I'm under the covers, completely under the covers. And I'm like, okay, well, I cried. Now what am I going to do? And I thought, I got no options. I got to get in the wheelchair. I got to go back to that unbelievable aerobics class. 
And so that is what I did. And I think that there's a sense in which there are moments in life when you, 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 know, you want to go to bed, pull the covers over your head, and cry. And say, how did I get here? How did I get here? Like, what happened that I am now here? This is not how I expected things to go. But after you cry, you sort of have to figure out, well, now what am I going to do? And the answer is, you know, you got to get back and go do the right thing. What, what's going to take you forward? And so uh, I just want to say, the first thing you need to see is uh, loving God with all our strength is not really optional. It is what we need to do. Number two, I want you to understand that there's a sense that just as faith is a muscle and the more we exercise it, the stronger we get, there's a sense in which discipline creates habits that, that move us forward. So one of the big learnings in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, that since they've been doing many more uh, MRIs and, 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 uh, and, and brain imaging, is to understand the morphology of the brain and to understand that, uh, that we actually create um, paths in our brain. And our willpower, your willpower, is not strong. My willpower is not strong. I can will myself to do certain things for a while, but uh, I can't just, I can't will myself to be who I want to be, right? I mean, I, we've talked about that in the past. But what we can do, and there's all kinds of stuff being written about this right now, secular literature being written about this now, about how we can use our limited resolve to create habits, and those habits will carry us forward. Because once it becomes a habit, it doesn't take thought or willpower. So we've got our willpower back to use it to create another habit. And so, so uh, you can create deep ruts that you are in that are good. And so we see that there are spiritual habits and practices. Some of them are, are habits of engagement. Like, I am going to read the Bible. I am going to pray. Some of them are habits of, of abstinence. Like, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to download this, uh, the, you know, season eight of that, the, that Netflix show. I'm not, I'm not going to eat. I'm going I'm to I'm engage in some practices of abstinence. But the more we do those things, remember, the more we do anything, the easier it is to do. And we can create habits. And, and the habits that we create can can lead us in the right direction. Third thing I'll say is that um, I have given this, I've just, I've just given this sermon to you in a way that suggests uh, that it's all about you. And uh, I not only don't mean that in the sense that it's, it's very much a, a, it's a gracious act of the Spirit of God for us to, to, to have the willpower and the strength and other things to go forward. I also just want to reflect that this is a sermon or this is an approach, an orientation that would be a little uh, foreign to people from other parts of the world. The American rugged individualism, you know, I'm doing this, it needs to be my resolve. Yeah, yeah, but really, you read the Christian life, you read, you look at what, what we find in the book of Acts, you look at what Jesus invites us into, 
Christianity is not a solo activity. Uh, We are in this together, and we can help encourage and motivate and carry people along at different times until some of those habits and patterns get developed. We can provide the support, the encouragement, the accountability to do this. So it's not simply a, a solo thing. So the final thing that I'll say here, and if you've been at Christ Church for a while, <laughs> this, this is not a surprise, but whenever I give a sermon that is all about you know, resolve and grit and uh, go make it happen and discipline yourself and all of those things, which I, which I believe are, you know, they're there. They're, in the, they're, they're part of what we get called to. But whenever I talk about working out your salvation, uh, and faith without works is dead, those kinds of passages, uh, I want to pause and remind you, okay, that is, we're talking sanctification, not justification. We're not talking about the gospel here. So the gospel is good news that while we were yet sinners, while we had no discipline, while we were not moving in the right direction, right, while we had no resolve, while we were not loving God with our strength, while we were yet sinners, while God could expect nothing from you and me but active rebellion and, and spiritual disinterest, Christ died for us. We become Christians not because we become strong enough, good enough, we will our way forward. No, it is a gift. It is a gift of God. The gospel is the good news. It's not anything you can figure out on your own. It is the announcement that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. We we are justified, we are reconciled with God, we are forgiven of our sins on the basis of the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so it is something that we receive, it's not something that we do. So uh, once we are justified, to use a theological term, then we begin the process of becoming sanctified. And justification is, is completely a work of Christ. Our sanctification is what I've been talking about, and that is uh, that, is, that is a partnership that we engage in with, uh, with the Spirit of God. We're working out our salvation. Augustine, again, famously said, we, we, we can't do it on our own. God won't do it on his own. So we are, we are partnering with the Holy Spirit to, to do the kinds of things, to work out our salvation, to engage in that process. But I just want to be, I want to be clear you understand the equation. The equation is not believe and works equals salvation. The equation is Believe, faith, equals salvation plus works. The works are there. They confirm the changed heart. And so as we uh, close today, I want to give you a chance to place your faith in Christ, to receive, to accept, to, to, to uh, take hold of the gospel itself. Uh, because if, if that is not what you've done, that's where this starts. You cannot You cannot love God with all your strength if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. So um, as uh, as I close, I am going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. And if you are interested in doing that, I would encourage you, uh, even right now, to pray a prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, I, I am... I am understanding things, seeing things, sensing things uh, that I have not understood before. And I, uh, I want to thank you and I want to reach out to you. And I want to plead that you, uh, that you would reach down to me. 
I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would give up heaven to come down and live the perfect life for me that I could not live and that you would die in my place for the forgiveness of my sins. And I accept, I receive, I confess that I am broken. I cannot become the person I want to be on my own. I can't even keep my own standards, let alone your standards. And so I confess that, that I cannot, and I receive the forgiveness that comes through you. Spirit of God, fill me, guide me, direct me, uh, help me in this process of moving forward. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you made that decision, we want you to let us know uh, whatever campus you're at or if you're watching online, please let your campus pastor know or, uh, or enter that in so that we can help you take next steps. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not the end point. It's the beginning point, and we want to help you on that beginning point.